started a series on pride and humility. Um, and I started off with this quote, and I wanted to start off with it again, because um, it's a, about 10 years ago or so, I don't know exactly when, uh, the Lord really started speaking to me about the importance of humility. And it's just something that I feel is important to consider regularly, because it's such a crucial virtue in the kingdom of God. And I'm hoping by the end of this series that you'll be convinced of that if you're not already. But this quote is interesting, and, that, and that's why I wanted to start off with it again today. It's by a phenomenal musician. His name's Jason Upton. And he says this, Right now in this day and age, the best discernment that you can ever use is to hang out with those who are followers of Jesus that are humble and broken. Because Jesus dealt with people not in terms of right and wrong, but in terms of humble or proud. And uh, I mentioned last week that when I first heard this quote, it struck me because, you know, I think usually we tend to think in terms of right and wrong, don't we? Um, as Christians, it's like, this is right, this is wrong. And so it almost sounds heretical to say that Jesus wasn't so concerned with that, but he was more concerned about the condition of your heart. He was more concerned about whether you were prideful or humble. And so I, I really thought about that, and, and the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, that's really true. If you, and th we talked all about this last week, so I won't go into that again, other than to say, Jesus, if you look at the life of Christ, if you read the Gospels, it's, yeah, you know, it seems that Jesus really dealt with people in this way. It was the humble contrite and contrite who he hung out with, um, the disciples, and it, the only people he really got mad at were the Pharisees, the self-righteous. And so what I, what I want to do is spring off that today, um, and I want to I mention this, these verses here. Because, actually, this one verse, that's quoted twice in the New Testament, because I'm going to, as I mentioned last week, I'm going to use this verse a lot, because it basically uh, illustrates this point. Both James 4.6 and uh, 1 Peter 5.5 5 quote this. This is actually an Old Testament verse from Proverbs 3.34. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The incredible thing about that is, if you think about our faith, if you think about how are we saved? I have a particular verse in mind, Ephesians 2.8. You're saved by, anyone? Grace, through faith. Now, if that's true, which it is, look at, look at the implications of this statement. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So it's really only the humble who are going to receive the grace, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So this is, really, this is really a crucial part of our faith. It's a critical part of life in the kingdom, isn't it? It's like, you know, like it's not, it does, notice it doesn't say you're, you're saved by being right <laughs> through faith. Like, like, how funny would it be, like, okay, I got saved when I was 18, so I've been right for 18 years. Like, that's just silly, yeah? So it's not, it's not now, to be sure, I want to bring balance, because it's important to have right beliefs. I mean, it's true that uh, you need to have the, the beliefs of the fundamental truths of the faith in order to be saved, that Jesus was the Son of God, and he raised on the third day, and all this stuff. 
But the interesting thing is you're not, you won't actually come to those conclusions unless you're humble. And it's only the humble who are actually going to be right. So if you seek to be right, often that leads you astray. It leads you to be self-righteousness. But if you're seeking to be humble, that leads you to the knowledge of the truth. So I want to really hit that home today. I want to emphasize that today because ironically, you're not going to be right if you're seeking to be right per se. If you're seeking the scriptures for knowledge's sake, for instance, to feed your pride, that's actually going to potentially lead to your fall. We talked about that last week. Because just think about the implications of this. God resists the proud. Like, you know, like, we'd rather have every demon in hell resist us than God resist us, yeah? Like, who wants God resisting them? So this is a big deal. So my, my question, this is really the million-dollar question I have that I, I started asking about 10 years ago, was what is humility? <laughs> and what does it look like? Because, you know, like if you search the scriptures, I see how imperative it is to be humble, but I don't necessarily see an easy dictionary definition of what humility is in the scriptures. And uh, that's, that, that would make life a lot easier, wouldn't it? It's like, hey, this is what humility is. This is what you have to do to be humble. Like, I mean, it does say what you have to do, but my point is it's not, there isn't a simple definition and everyone has their own ideas of what humility is. And so I started asking the question and I went on this journey of, okay, what is humility? And so if you were here last week, I started trying to at least scratch the surface and maybe this goes without saying, but what does humility look like? Jesus. And we talked about Philippians 2, how, how we're supposed to imitate him. How he so humbled himself, he didn't try, even though he was the son of God, he didn't try to exalt himself as if being the son of God was something to brag about. But he humbled himself, becoming like a man, like a servant. And then I, I, what does pride look like? The devil. So I gave you a couple of scriptures on this. And I'm not going to go over those scriptures again, but I do want to give highlights of two of the scriptures I mentioned because they're important with what I want to talk about today. So I just have Jesus, a scripture about Jesus and the devil side by side, so you can see this. So the first one is, okay, what's humility look like? This is from Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. This is a famous verse, so you all know it, I'm sure. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll receive or find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden's light. What I want to point out today is notice that it's a condition of the heart. Both pride and humility are, are matters of the heart. Jesus is saying, I'm humble of heart. And, you know, I mentioned this last week. I think this is the only place in Scripture where Jesus actually describes himself using attributes or trait characteristics. So the one time we see him saying what he's like, I'm humble. And so obviously for disciples... We're trying to imitate Christ. That's important for us, right? Now, this is an Old Testament passage that I should say most theologians believe is describing the devil, and I, I tend to agree with that. Um, so this is Ezekiel 28, 16 to 17. Um, if, so this is, anyway. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. And look at this. Your heart became proud. So again, it's a, it's a matter of the heart. 
on account of your beauty, and you uh, corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you. So what I wanna, one of the main points I want to make today is what I just said, is that humility is a condition of the heart. So, right, because I'm asking the question, what is humility and what does it look like? Humility is a matter of the heart. So God's not so concerned about you being right or wrong per se. He's more concerned about the condition of your heart. So I want to mention this. I want to give you, you guys probably know this story too, but I want, I want to emphasize this verse because I think, you know, every once in a while there's a verse in the Bible that's just like, man, that's like a fundamental verse. That's a fundamental truth. Like being born again. You know, like, are you born again is a question we'll often ask people. You know, it's only mentioned twice in the Bible. It's only mentioned in John 3. And then you could maybe argue it's mentioned, the rebirth is mentioned in 1 Peter 1, and then maybe Titus 3. But the point is, that's not something you would think if that metaphor was so crucial, which it is, that you would think he would mention like a million times, but no, he doesn't. But that doesn't negate the fact that's, a, that's an important truth, is it not? And so this is one of those verses that I feel is important, that like that, okay? So you guys probably know this story. There was this, this king, his name was Saul, and really what happened is pride got in the way and he fell. And so ultimately, we're, we're, I'm just setting up the context. God rebukes him for various reasons and said, you know, I've taken away the kingdom from you and I've given it to one of your neighbors, one who's better than you. He has a heart after mine. So this is 1 Samuel 16, 1 uh, and then 6 and 7. Because Samuel's mourning over this. Because Samuel, the prophet's the guy who anointed Saul as king and he was really uh, upset that Saul ended up falling like he did. So the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. So Saul goes to Bethlehem. Now, we all know Bethlehem because Jesus was born there. But Bethlehem was like in the back country, you know. It was like out way in the middle of nowhere. Samuel goes there. And just think of this, okay. Like Samuel was like the, the like, he was like the celebrity preacher of the day, <laughs> This, okay, this would be like Billy Graham coming to your hometown. Like, now I realize he's passed away, but just a few years ago, coming to your hometown, and it's like, man, Billy Graham's in town. This is amazing. So imagine Billy Graham knocks on your door. You let him in, and he's like, hey, the Lord is going to make one of your sons king. So, of course, that, that's like, man, I, this is amazing. So Jesse lines up his sons. And Saul sees the oldest, and he's like Brad Pitt. He's got all the muscles, and he's tall, and he's like, this has got to be the guy. This is like Ilya, man. This guy's it. So, so he's like, surely the Lord's anointed stands, right, stands before the Lord. This is Samuel thinking this. Verse 7. Now look at this. This is the verse I want to emphasize. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's, it's like, wow. <laughs> Isn't it? That's a big deal. Now, what's amazing about this is if you know the story, 
Samuel goes through all of his sons, and the Lord's like, no, 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 no. And Samuel's confused. He's like, what? Okay, so do you have another son? And Jesse's like, yeah, like, psh, David. <laughs> he, but he's out tending sheep. Like, the humble, like, he's like, like, think about this. Billy Graham comes to your house, and, and it's like, imagine your David, your dad doesn't even tell you. You don't even get the memo. Because it's like, yeah, it won't be David. He's just that humble little kid out there with the sheep. But lo and behold, they get, they get David, and it's like, the Lord's like, this is the guy. This is the guy. Like the humble, right? Because David had a heart. It was all about the heart. It wasn't about the outward appearance. It was about the heart. So this verse here, the Lord looks at the heart, is so, is so critical. And that's why I wanted to mention that. It's, it, pride and humility are matters of the heart. And we mentioned this, that God gives grace to the humble. And scripture shows that this grace that is referred to often comes in the form of revelation. So these are things I want to emphasize today. So only the humble are able to receive, to know, and to understand the truth of the kingdom of heaven. It's only the humble. All right. So if you remember, I want to, so last week I gave this portion of scripture. I want to give it again because I'm springing off of it today. And I'm emphasizing something a little different. So this is from Luke 10, 17 to 22. In the context, Jesus sends out the 72 others. They go heal the sick, cast out demons, preach the kingdom. They come back and they're really excited because they're like, man, Jesus, the demons even submit to us in your name. So this is what Jesus said. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And if you remember that verse I just gave you, and I gave you some others last week where he was alluding to those Old Testament verses about Satan. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, this, this you might remember from last week. At that time... Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you revealed them to little children, the humble, the disciples. Yes, Father, for this, was your, this is what you were pleased to do. Now, I mentioned this last time. This wasn't like a subtle smile, like, praise you, Father. This is amazing. Like, you know, we often think of Jesus as so, like, stoic and, you know, he doesn't get it. But look at what the Greek word, <laughs> this is the word that was used. The Greek word for joy means properly getting so glad that one jumps in celebration to exalt because so experientially joyful. Jesus was, like, jumping up and down, so ecstatic over this. And the odd thing, at least I think this is odd, maybe it's not. Look at what he's getting so happy about. That God hides these things from the wise and learned, and he reveals them to little children. It's, it's like, wow, that, why does that make Jesus so happy, yeah? Because like, the only time I can think of this in, in Scripture is, like, Jesus getting so happy was over this. And it's like, man, like, wow. Like, this is a big deal. Like, how many of you want to make Jesus happy? It's like, yeah, well, how? And this is how. Humility. 
And what's he talking about? The context is the things of the kingdom, because they just went out, preached the kingdom, cast out demons, and he's talking about salvation, because he's like, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So it's like the little children, the humble, are the ones who are receiving this revelation. Thank you, Father, for that. And thank you also that you're hiding these things from the wise and learned. So that's my question today that I hope to answer. Why... Did it make Jesus so happy that God hides things from the wise and learned and reveals them to little children? Why? Because that, like, like I said, it's like, why did, <laughs> like, that's interesting. Yeah, it's like, why? Okay. So hopefully, I'm going to give you some scriptures and I'm hopefully, I'm hoping to answer that question today. Okay. So humility and kingdom revelation. Humility is the key to understanding truth. So. I mentioned this earlier, seeking to be right only leads to self-righteousness. Seeking to be humble results in the knowledge of the truth. Jesus reveals truth to the humble of heart. Because remember, that's what he said. Thank you, God, that you revealed these things to little children. Talking about revelation, you revealed these things. So God only reveals truth to the humble of heart. And therefore, the only way to be right is to be humble. And interestingly enough, if you've ever asked the question that the, the disciples asked Jesus, which we're going to talk about today, why does Jesus use parables? Have you ever wondered that? This is one of the main reasons why, and I'm actually going to show you that today, okay? So, understanding the parables, I'm going to use the parables as an illustration of this principle that Jesus intentionally, actually, he intentionally hides truth from the prideful, from the wise and learned, and he intentionally hides truth within mysteries to reveal it to the humble. Because only the humble are going to get the truth. So Jesus used parables, I'll say in a different way, and hid truth within them so that the prideful hearts couldn't receive the truth. Jesus hid truth in mysteries so that only the humble of heart were able to hear and understand the truth. And this is, this is actually what Jesus was teaching about in the parable of the sower. This is actually what that parable is about. Okay, and, and the, if you don't know, the parable of the sower is super important. It's, and, and I'm going to show you why. It's like the linchpin parable of parables. And, and I'll, I'll back that up with scripture, but it's, it's so important. And, and it's, it's, so, it's in every one of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So I'm going to show you the addresses here. Matthew 13, 1 to 23. Mark 4, 1 to 20. And Luke 8, 1 to 15. All of those talk about it. Now today I'm emphasizing Matthew's version because it has it's the longest it has the most information but what i love about the synoptic gospels is some of them emphasize things that others don't and so you can get a more comprehensive picture of what jesus intended if you read them together all three so i am going to use some snippets of uh, other of of this from other from the other two gospels but mostly emphasize matthew so i'm just going to read this to you this is matthew 13 1 to 10 that same day jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, look at this, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came up and ate it. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 
160 or 30 times would sow it. Whoever has ears, let them hear. How many of you, how many of you recognize that statement? Jesus says that every once in a while. And it's like when he says that, it's like, hint, hint, there's more to this than what's on the surface. It's like, you should seek out the truth in this. Those who have ears, let them hear. Like you see this in the book of Revelations too, don't you? When Jesus gives specific words to the seven churches, it's like, those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's like, man, there's something important here, so you should listen. (laughs) It's maybe another way of saying it. So then look at this, verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to people, people in parables? I love the disciples because they often ask questions like that we would ask. Yeah? It's like, what? Jesus, why, like, what, why do you ask, like, talk in such like, mysterious ways? You know? <laughs> and I'm so glad they asked this because Jesus actually answers. Okay? So now I want to point this out. I have this first before I go on to what he says because I want you to keep in mind this whole section is what the parable the sower is about. Because often like it seems like Jesus says something and it, we, we remove it from the context and like, what, like it seems like not even related to, what he, to the parable he just gave. But, but this, all of this is actually explaining the parable in different ways. Okay, so that's an, just keep that in mind. So he replied, Look at this, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they'll have an abundance. And I have here in brackets, this is the good soil he's taught. This is the 30, 60, 100 full. That's, that's what he's saying. Whoever has will be given an abundance. And he's talking about the secrets of the knowledge of the kingdom, right? We're talking about the revelation. Only the humble are going to get it. Whoever does not have... Even what they have will be taken from them, talking about the three types of soil, the first three. This is why I speak in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. I have that underlined. Because only the humble are going to understand the revelation that are hidden within the parables. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. And he's still talking about the parable. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart, remember we're talking about the heart, has become calloused. The first three types of soil. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes otherwise, and then I have in my own brackets, if their hearts were humble or soft, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Notice this is all about the heart. This parable is all about the condition of the heart. And I'm going to show you that again, but this is what he's saying here. The condition of your heart is going to determine whether you understand the mysteries, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And only those who have ears to hear, the humble of heart, are going to be able to receive it and multiply it. But if your heart is prideful and hard, you're not going to be able to, you're going to reject it. The seed won't take root. So, I just want to point this out. By the way, I have the gift of repetition. I think repetition is good sometimes. So I say things in different ways, just to like hit it home, just so you know. Alright, so you can see how he's using this prophecy from Isaiah to help them understand what this parable means and why he uses parables. This is interesting. He's actually using this parable to explain why he uses parables. 
And he's saying the parables are a fulfillment of this prophecy from Isaiah. Okay? So, and then he's saying, he's using that as an illustration. This is, this is a fulfillment of it. This is why I'm using parables. So remember, pride and humility are issues of the heart. And because pride has made the people's heart callous or hard, they can't receive the revelation contained within these parables. Now, this isn't in Matthew's version, but this is in Mark's version. So I want to say this because this, this shows how important this parable of the sower is. Why I said this is like the parable of parable, the linchpin. Because look at what Jesus, Mark 4.13. Then Jesus said, don't you understand this parable of the sower? How then will you understand any parable? It's like if you don't understand this one, you have no hope. Because <laughs> this parable is about who will understand the parables. And if you don't understand these, this parable, you're not going to understand any of them. Because only the humble of heart are going to understand them. Now, let me, so let me elaborate on this. So Jesus is making the point that this particular parable is absolutely, absolutely critical for you, under, for you to understand every single parable. Why? Because only the humble of heart, the good soil, are able to understand the truth contained within the parables. So if you don't have the posture of heart to understand this parable, then how are you going to understand any parable is the point he's making. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. If not, I'm going to elaborate on that more. So the parable of the sower is illustrating two things. First of all, why he speaks in parables so there's truth about the kingdom, right? The, mystery, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven hidden within them so that only those who are good soil, good heart, like positive hearts, will be able to understand them. And secondly, what it takes to understand the parables, a humble, soft posture of heart, which we're going to see. So then he goes on. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. Talking about the heart. The soil is, is representative of the condition of the heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocking ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But, verse 23, the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what's sown. I want you to notice Luke's version. Luke 8.15. This is what he says. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Okay, so again, it's all about the heart. So Jesus is saying that unless your heart is humble and soft, good soil, you're never going to understand the truth of the kingdom. That is the critical factor. The critical factor. It's all about the condition of your heart. So it's not about whether you're right or wrong. Because the only way to be right is to be humble, because unless you're humble, you're not going to get the revelation of the kingdom of God. And this explains why the Pharisees rejected him. They had prideful, self-righteous hearts. Yeah? And we mentioned this last week, like nobody fasted more, studied the scriptures more, gave more, were expecting the coming Messiah more than the Pharisees. They were like the conservative evangelicals of the day. Yet they, they rejected him when he came. And the question is why? 
prideful hearts. They couldn't receive the message of the kingdom. So it was rege- the, Satan took it, like the, the parable of the sower. Only those with the humble hearts were able to receive it. The disciples, the little children. So if your heart's hard or callous, then you're not going to receive it. It's not going to multiply. But if you have a soft, humble heart, you're going to receive it. And the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom is going to multiply the 30, 60, 100 fold. Now, Matthew's version doesn't have this, but both Mark and Luke do. So I want to finish off because Jesus is still talking about this parable. So this is Mark 21. He says to them, do you bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden, he's talking about the parable. Whatever's hidden is meant to be disclosed. The truth within the parables, it's meant to be disclosed. And whatever's concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. So the truth of the kingdom of heaven that's hidden within these parables is meant to be disclosed. I'm not intentionally hiding it from you to be mean. I'm hiding it for a reason. But it's meant to be disclosed. So if you're humble and you seek the truth with a humble heart, it's going to come, become self-evident to you. Because God's going to give you the grace. Now notice this again. If anyone is here, let him hear. Okay. Now consider carefully what you hear, he continued. Still talking about the parable. With the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. And even more, whoever has will be given the 30, 60, 100 fold multiplication. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. The first three types of soil. Okay? So, as I, so Jesus is saying that the truth hidden in the parables is meant to be disclosed. And, and this is what's in, interesting about this whole thing. He used this opportunity to illustrate this principle because, think about it, he's disclosing the truth that was concealed in the parable of the sower to his disciples, the humble, the ones who sought him for it. What does this mean? Why do you speak in parables? And then Jesus illustrates this principle about his intention to disclose the truth within them to the humble of heart, and he discloses it and makes it completely clear this is what it means. Does that make sense? So the humble of heart received the revelation and it was multiplied. I want you to think about this because Jesus says, okay, the humble of heart, they're going to receive the secrets of the kingdom of heaven and it'll multiply. Think about Matthew, that one of the disciples was there listening to this. Think about how much the revelation from this multiplied from his gospel. We're still talking about it, yeah? So that principle is true. Okay, so... Try to answer the question, okay. So he reveals the truth to the humble. But then the question is, why does he hide these things from the proud? Why does he do that? Because it's like, hey, yeah, fair enough. Jesus wants to, but what's the, why? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hopefully answer you using scripture, okay? Because that was a question I had. Why does Jesus do this? So why does he hide truth in parables so that the private hearts couldn't receive it? Because... They would reject the truth and be held even more accountable for it and receive a more severe judgment as a result. Okay? And I'm going to show you this scripturally, this principle. Now, I really like this quote. This is by uh, a minister. His name is Rick Joyner. He said, God, this is a paraphrase. I couldn't remember the exact quote, but this is the essence of it. God judges people not according to the amount of evil embraced, 
but according to the amount of light rejected. Okay? And I'm going to show you this is true scripturally. God judges people not according to the amount of evil embraced, but according to the amount of light rejected. So it's God's mercy. This might sound counterintuitive, but it's actually God's mercy to use parables so that the prideful would not receive as severe judgment for rejecting the truth contained within them. This is intentional. It's mercy. Okay? Now this is one important scripture that I want to talk about that illustrates this principle. This is Jesus now. This is Luke 12, 47 to 48. And I'll just read it to you. The servant, look at this, who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. He's talking about judgment. But the one who does not know and does the things deserving of punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Okay? So it's like if you reject the truth of the kingdom of heaven, you're going to be beaten with many blows because you're accountable for the truth that you've rejected. But for those of, so for those, like you see this with Judas, it's like Jesus, it's like, man, it would have been better for you not to be a born than to reject the son of God. Because it's like, man, think about Judas. He was like living, like walking with Jesus while the son of God was on earth. He saw the miracles. He saw everything. Judas. Think about the severity of judgment that Judas is going to get because he rejected so much light. Because he, it's like he has no excuse. He is going to be held so high accountable compared to someone who lived in, I don't know, Spain at the time who never even heard of Jesus. Does that make sense? So the more truth you have, the more accountable you're going to be. And you're going to receive a harsher judgment for rejecting it than those who don't know as well. So in other words, it's better not to know it the truth of the kingdom of heaven, then to know it and reject it. And Jesus knew they're going to reject it. And so it's his mercy for hiding the truth from those who are prideful, to, too prideful and self-righteous to accept it because of mercy. Now I'm going to, just a couple more portions of scripture to sh show you this principle because it's so important, Okay. So Matthew eleven twenty to 24, look at this. This is again showing, remember, God judges people, nations, churches, whatever, not according to the amount of evil embraced, but according to the amount of light they've rejected. This is exactly what Jesus is showing here. Verse 20, Matthew 11. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they didn't repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Because you saw so much. You saw the miracles. You saw the demonstration of the kingdom and you rejected it. And for that reason, you're going to get a more severe judgment than the towns who didn't see it. Then look at this, verse 23. And then you, Capernaum, this is like where Jesus hung out for a really long time. So they were really accountable. Will you be lifted up to the heavens? No. You'll go down to Hades. For if the miracles 
that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, look at this. It'll be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. For Sodom. Like, you guys know what Sodom is? (laughs) Like Sodom and Gomorrah? Like the poster child of an evil city? And yet, look at what Jesus is saying. It's going to be more bearable for this evil city than for you because you saw the miracles. You saw the Son of God manifest in flesh and you rejected it. And it'll be more bearable for Sodom. Whew. Right? That's, man, that's, that's, that's intense. Remember, not according to the evil embrace because Sodom embraced a lot of evil. If you just read the Old Testament, bizarre. I mean, that's where we get the word sodomy from, okay? Like, that says it all. It's going to be more bearable for Sodom. Man, oh man. Now look, I want to point something out here. Because I am asking the question, why does, why does it make Jesus so happy that he hides truth from the prideful? Look at this. Notice this. This is Matthew 11, verse 24 is what I just read. What's the next verse? Verse 25. At that time... Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. It's in the context of the judgment, the severity of judgment that they're going to get for rejecting the light. And Jesus is praising God that he's hiding these things from the wise and learned. Why? So that they they would be spared such a severe judgment. Because they're going to reject the truth. Okay? So, all these things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those whom he chooses to reveal him. And then notice this. We started off with this verse. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Take your oak upon me and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble of heart. Okay. Now what I want to do is read you Luke's version. Because it's slightly different. But I want to show you the same principle. This is from Luke 10, 8 to 16. This is a, okay, so Jesus gives them this instructions. When you enter a town, you're uh, welcome to, or sorry, and are welcome, eat what's offered to you, heal the sick who are there, tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go to its street and say, even the dust in your uh, town we wipe from our feet is a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, look at this, the kingdom of God has come near you. Verse 12, I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So even the towns that rejected his, the disciples who were sent out and demonstrating the miracles and stuff, Jesus is saying, it'll be more bearable for Sodom than those towns. And then look at this, this looks familiar. Verse 13, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the judgment day than you. And Capernaum, will you be lifted up? No, you'll go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. Whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. Verse, six, some, right, verse 16. What's the very next verse? Start it off with this. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Look at this. Remember I asked the question, why did this make Jesus so happy? This is the context. The judgment, the severity of judgment for those who rejected the kingdom of heaven and the wise and learned, the prideful of heart are the ones who rejected. And he's saying, thank you, God, 
that you're hiding these things, the truth of the kingdom from the wise and learned who would reject them because they'll have a least severe or a less severe judgment because they're not as accountable, right? But on the other hand, he's saying, God, I rejoice that you're revealing these things to little children. Why? Because the humble of heart are going to receive it and it's going to multiply 30, 60, 100 fold. So he's rejoicing over both, okay? So that was the question. Why did, did that make Jesus so happy? First of all, Jesus rejoiced that these things were hidden from the wise and learned or the proud because they would be spared judgment for rejecting the truth. The secrets of the kingdom, the truth hidden within parables. Why did he rejoice? Because he revealed them to little children, the humble, because the humble of heart will receive the message of the kingdom and multiply. That's the bottom line. Okay. Now, I'm sure there's probably other reasons why this made Jesus so happy. But I think this is partly why. right? Because Jesus is so merciful that it's like, man, I'm glad you're hiding this from the people who are going to reject it. Because they won't be as accountable and, and have such a severe judgment. But I'm also happy that the humble are receiving it. And you reveal it to them because they're going to multiply the kingdom. So bottom line, having a humble, soft heart, the good soil, is a prerequisite to understanding the truth of the kingdom. It's a prerequisite. So unless you have that soft posture of heart, you won't even understand the truth of the kingdom. You don't even have a chance. And this is partly, right, God gives grace to the humble. That's why I said that's part of his grace is the revelation of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And this is the case with the parables and the teachings of Jesus and the scriptures. Unless you have a humble heart, you approach God with a humble heart, you won't even get what what the kingdom's all about. So I'll end with this quote again. Right now in this day and age, the best discernment you can ever use is to hang out with those who are followers of Jesus, who are humble and broken, because Jesus dealt with people not in terms of right and wrong, but in terms of humble and proud. So next week, hopefully you're convinced humility is really crucial. So then you might be like, well, how do we humble ourselves, right? Because that's a good question. That's a million-dollar question. Because obviously it's imperative that we're humble, yeah? So then the question is, okay, well, like, how do we actually do that? And I'm going to address that next week. Um, So more in this next week. Stay tuned. So why don't we pray and uh, whenever the worship team wants to come up. Father, I thank you so much for your grace. And Lord, I just thank you so much for this amazing congregation. Lord, I thank you that, that humility is so apparent within the people of this congregation. And Lord, I just ask you to continue to reveal the secrets of the mystery of the kingdom that we would multiply it 30, 60, 100 fold. Lord, I ask you for the grace to just walk this out in a tangible way that is practical. And if there's anything that we need to repent of in terms of pride or anything else, Lord, that you would just reveal that to us and that you would enable us to uh, repent and come before you with a humble heart so that we would receive your grace. So, Lord, I just bless each and every one this week. And I, I thank you for the honor it is to be here among such a wonderful congregation. And I thank you for this opportunity. And I just ask that your presence go with us in Jesus' name. Amen.